I presume that uh, there is probably a Providence South meeting in Sarasota this morning. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. I hope your week was well. Uh, one thing I did think about this morning uh, when, we, when Chris and, and then Narita reminded me, uh, a year ago, we were just stepping in, and we didn't know very many of you. We knew you, but not very many. And we were going to have a leadership meeting, and about then, uh, Jane decided to make her appearance. And, and it's been a year uh, that Jane has been with us, and we have also not had baby dedication. If you're interested in a baby dedication, one or two of you said something, let's do that. I think that's something to celebrate, to have children in church. So if you're interested... You, you uh, will work together at a date. Well, if you want to bring grandparents and so on, we'll do that. And Linda, uh, how long will you be in the States? January 30th. So we may see a bit more of you in the future here, but uh, that was just, uh, I, I just want to bless you publicly for what you're doing and uh, the way you're letting God use you. Thank you. Now, the other question I have for you is, do you make New Year's resolutions? The 25 pounds I've wanted to lose for the last five years, I, I discuss around New Year's, and then uh, I, not that much. I've actually lost some but over the years. But uh, I was reading something in, I think, uh, Wall Street Journal, and they had this article about gym memberships and how the escalation of gym memberships in the week between Christmas and New Year's and into that first week of January, how the gym memberships just spike like crazy. And then they kind of begin to tail off. And the attendance at gyms uh, spikes really much in, in that bit of time, but then it begins to tail off. And, and we all kind of grin about that. And, and, but we are kind of, this is a good time to think about the future. Now, we are also at a 10-year period in our history, so we're, we're entering another decade, 2020. Who would have thought that we would live to 2020? The earth would stand and we'd be here. Little kids growing up, we thought for sure the Lord would come back in 1988 and then uh, 1994 and then 2000 or that the world would cataclysmically change. I have a friend who still probably has 55 gallons of gas in his garage from then. And, uh, but, but it is healthy for us to think about where is God calling us to and what are the basic things that God is calling us to as a church for the next year, for the next 10 years. And so I, I wish, if you, if you have copies of the Scriptures, please turn in them to 1 Corinthians 15. Now often when you talk about 1 Corinthians 15, you talk about the latter half of the chapter where it talks about uh, the power of the resurrection over death. And it is also helpful for you to understand that the church at Corinth was facing many of the same issues we face today. How do we do church? How do we let people exercise their gifts in church? Uh, there was some disunity about how to handle cultural issues. And, and so um, there was also a lack of appreciation for God's holiness, uh, which is true in our world today. And, and so this is a, a book that is written to a, a church that has come through some, some struggles, and they're trying to band together. And at, at the end of it, the first letter, and the letter is actually fairly stern in places, about as stern as Paul gets with his fellow saints. And then he, he ends the book with kind of the last thought here, 
This is the end of 1 Corinthians. And contrary to what you've heard, 2 Corinthians is lit, written some later. So there's a time gap there. So he's ending the letter. I also want you to just, uh, so we'll, we'll read the first, maybe the first 11 verses here. Now I would remind you, uh, brothers, now let me just insert a colophon here. Uh, brothers as used here is Adelphia, which means brothers and sisters, or church. So I will just use that when that is in use in the epistles. The ESV chooses to translate it brothers, but they always put a footnote in. So I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now I want you to particularly notice in verse 4, of verse 3, what he says. For I delivered to you as of first importance. And that word could also translate it as first in order. And I want us to think about this morning about what is of first importance. And, and, what, and how is it that we can move into uh, 2020, into both the year and the decade, and, and think about what, it is, what is at the core, what is at the heart of what we need to hear as a church, as a group of people, as Christians, and, and, uh, and, and Providence, and Marcus, and you. What is it that we need to remember and always keep in mind? And if we are like the people at Corinth, which we are because we're human, then we need to be returned to <coughs> those things, those items of first importance, first order, on a regular basis. And notice what Paul says. Paul doesn't say, I want you, I want you to note, I, I delivered to you as a first importance that you, um, that you exercise the gifts or that you uh, practice the Lord's Supper. Or even in this case, that you, uh, the wearing of the veiling, which we can talk about uh, uh, some other time in 1 Corinthians. But he has covered all these things, and he returns them back to something, and he says, I want you to note what is of first order. Note what he says, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. That is the gospel. That is the only message that people need to know to be saved. That Christ died for our sins. And if that is true, then he died for your sins. Now, I, I, I think we sometimes need to think about who we are. 
at the very narrowest portion of who we are, we might say we're Anabaptists. And uh, will that get us into heaven? No. No. Just like being Catholic will not get you to heaven or being Presbyterian won't get you into heaven. Nothing wrong with it. In fact, there's a great deal of, uh, of uh, rootedness in when we can say, I belong to this family of faith. But outside of that, uh, we, we may say uh, we belong... Well, let's say, let's say the first order is providence. Does be, coming to providence uh, help anyone be saved? Well, don't answer that just directly. It might. Uh, you hear something. But, so our first identity is as a group of believers who meet at Providence. Our second identity is as a group of Anabaptists who are, are, are together with other churches. But bigger than that, and this is what Paul is returning to, he's saying of first importance is the fact that you are followers of Jesus, that you have believed for, that Jesus died for your sins. And we need to lay all those other things down and say, what binds us together is not our denominational preference, our church house preference, or anything like that. It is Jesus Christ. Now, uh, I found it really fascinating that the Sunday school lesson uh, was on can, all, can anyone come to Jesus uh, can, uh, in, in that sense? Are, are, are all religions equal? And I would agree with what I heard in the men's Sunday school class that they are not. We are the only religion in the world, and note Paul goes very clearly back to this, I, that, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with, with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day. The power of the resurrection in our lives, there, there are ways that people have tried to be delivered from sin, and, and their gods are all dead. Our God is alive. And the, the first thing that we need to embrace is that Jesus died for our sins and that he has the power over death and sin and that he is alive. Now, um, the church has historically done this. And uh, what is it that the earliest followers of Jesus developed to strengthen the church? Well, first of all, they recognize the scriptures. That Isaiah 44, I was going to turn to that passage that was in the men's Sunday school, uh, the adult Sunday school. I am the Lord God, I am alive. And they would have regularly gone back. They also had creeds. Now, a creed is a statement of a shared belief of a community in the form of a fixed formula summarizing core tenets. The earliest creed in Christianity was the simple phrase, Jesus is Lord. And they would have said it together. Because there is a power in standing and saying that together and embracing that together. But what developed beginning with Paul and the other apostles was what is often called the Apostles' Creed. Are any of you familiar with the Apostles' Creed? Okay, let's stand together. Next slide, please. I think the next slide is the one I want. This is the Apostles' Creed. So, now we're going to say, and when we say this together, I want you to think not only about what you're saying, but that the fact that you are embracing 2,000 years of shared belief here, where we say... Together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand, God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now, um, it's easy for us to say this. Uh, you can be seated. Um, everyone is going to have a bit of an issue here with uh, one, two, three, four, the fifth line up from the bottom. There was a little falter right there. The Holy Catholic Church. Now let me, you, you notice it's a small c. That means universal. Catholic means universal. The Church of Jesus Christ. So it's not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. They would have used this phrase um, as, as soon as a hundred years after Jesus, there were already people using this formula. And they, and they would have, every time they met together as a group of people, they would have said this together. This is at the core of what they believe. And they would have said, I believe in God the Father Almighty, in Jesus Christ His Son. You notice God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Catholic Church. Again, let me just explain. That doesn't mean we believe in the Roman Catholic Church. It means that we believe that Jesus' church extends outside of us. That it's bigger than us. And that when people who worship at Gospel Haven or on the ridge out uh, south of Charm here where they're having church this morning or in Kenya or in Millersburg or in New Haven, Connecticut, when that group of people uh, meets, we embrace with them the idea that the church of Jesus is bigger than us. And I have been asking Jesus in, in my prayer time, asking God in my prayer time, what is a word that he wants me to focus on for myself for this coming year? Do you ever do that and think about, what, is it, what do I want to think about? And, and I kept coming back to this word, I believe, two words. I believe. What is it I believe? How is my belief reflected? How does it look when I say, I believe? Uh, yeah, a, a, a belief is an assumed truth. Now, some of my truth, some of my beliefs are not true. Or maybe false belief. Hence, everything is a belief, including this statement. I'm assuming that the statement is true, that belief is an assumed truth. We create beliefs to, un to anchor our understanding of the world around us. So you believe something to make sense of the world around us. It can range from something as simple as, as if I say, it is raining. And when I walk outside, I become wet. That is a belief that I have as I look out the window because my belief is built on, on a previous experiences. But it is bigger. It's also built around the way we live. And so when we have formed a belief, we will tend to persevere with that belief. Belief is not easy to change. Uh, that is why when people are hurt in their childhood, they form, children form beliefs. That is how you train children. You create a belief system in them that says, if you persist in this behavior, there will be consequences. And you have to help them experience those consequences at different moments, in, right? Uh, it happened to me. Uh, so I experienced consequences, and as a result, I developed a belief system that said, you know, every time I do that, I'm going to get into trouble. <clears throat> now, 
back up one slide. Let's go back to the, uh, the core beliefs. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And, and there would be some worth at us over the next year at various times to go through this. But I'm going to suggest something. I didn't have time this morning, or else I would have done it this morning, and we, we will just reiterate it and reiterate it. I'm going to suggest that we, we try this. Uh, now, help me out. Tell me if I'm completely wacko. But if I would get you copies of this, and that every time, or uh, you try to at least several times a week, or maybe every day if you want to go that far, when, when, or the days you have your devotions. If I ask you now, how many days are you going to have your devotions in the next year? You're going to say 365. But if I ask, how many days have you had it the last year? Well, maybe, um, uh, how many did you have? Don't, don't answer that. You maybe, uh, it's, it's okay. Don't get, all, don't get all bound up in that. Get bound up in the fact that I want to worship Jesus and how does it look? It may look differently, but suppose we begin to, to, begin to use this, this age-old set of beliefs that have been time-tested and the church has embraced for 2,000 years. From the time of the people who, know, who knew the apostles, Irenaeus and some of those early church writers who are disciples of the apostles. They began this set of systems and that as much as possible, every time we meet as a church, we say this together. I wonder what would happen I wonder how it would change us as it begins to filter in. We can say it once. I can talk about it today. And it's kind of nice. But what happened? How do we make it filter in? How do we make it actually become a part of us? And see, the way that beliefs end up revealing themselves is in our behavior. You, your behavior doesn't come out of a vacuum. It comes out of your beliefs. And don't say non-beliefs, because a non-belief is a belief. Maybe wrong, but it's a belief. Uh, we don't have to do this. This is not just my call, but one of the things I'm going to do this year is I'm going to keep a copy of this in the Bible I use for my devotions, and every day I'm going to say this aloud. It's simple, and I hope I can memorize it. Now, I'm 50, and I've figured out why I can't memorize anymore. Um, my brain is too full of other things. And it has a limited capacity, and the older you get, the fuller it gets, and the harder it is to stuff stuff in. It's like keeping 15 beach balls underwater. Um, but I wonder what would happen if Marcus, if I embraced, I believe in God the Father Almighty. How would that look at how I relate to you, to my wife? How would it look if I embraced the idea that Jesus' church is a holy Catholic church that is bigger than I, than I am? How would it look if I embraced the fact that, that Jesus is coming he is seated at the right hand of, of God the Father Almighty, and he is going to come to judge the living and the dead. How, how would those things work their way out into my belief? And historically, the church, now I'm not talking about the Anabaptist church, although the Anabaptists embrace this. The early Anabaptist, hymn number two in the Osbund, you know, the Amish hymnal, the oldest continually used hymnal in the world, hymn number two in the Osbund is a takeoff of the Apostles' Creed. But the church historically believed 
that it, it had this idea that when a group of people is together, they give assent with their mouth to something. They testify with their mouth to their belief systems. Now, I know that's an outdated idea, but we do it every time we sing. And what is it that sticks with us? Often the songs, the words of a song, because they're put to, to ways that we can remember them. So I would suggest that what God is calling his church to is this. A belief system that is structured around a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And a belief system that God is actively engaged in our world and that he sees the justices, the injustices, the good and the bad, and that people are going to have to answer for those someday, including myself. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make copies for you. And if you wish to join in this journey, because I think it is a journey, and I think it's something we can, like I've thought, I've thought about the fact that I've been in churches already where we've memorized, the entire church has memorized a portion of Scripture together. Something powerful that can happen when we do that. And I, and I was thinking this morning, maybe this is what God is calling us to as a church. To, to, just to re, come back to our original belief systems. Now, um, I would like, um, Mike, uh, let me, let's, uh, let's flip through. I want to cover one more slide and then we'll uh, go to the next slide. Uh, this is about belief. When you and I look at that, that picture... This is an ancient piece of art, Byzantine art. When we look at that picture, what what we see is Jesus being crucified on the cross. When uh, and on the right you have his mother uh, uh, reflecting the women, and uh, uh, sorry, on the left you have his mother, and on the right Mary Magdalena. That that's traditionally what people have believed. Uh, this is an old piece of art in a Byzantine church. But when other people look at this. Um, this thing, they believe something differently. Uh, and, and, and I want to just say a little more about belief. We usually believe something will happen because they have previously happened in that way. That's why when you go outside and uh, Rochelle tells Kendrick, it is raining. That's a belief she has. In this case, she's right. Or is she? Or isn't You know, what, what is her belief? Her belief is built on something that will happen because they have previously happened. When we believe one thing, we disbelieve anything that contradicts that belief. We have this wrestling match in our mind. If I would say to you, go outside, it's 50 degrees and snowing. You would say, what, what have you been eating this morning? Or what's wrong with you? Because it, it contradicts your belief system. Now, it's a very simple thing. And we assume that what we believe is true or else we don't believe it. And, and we create beliefs to anchor our understanding of the world around us. That's why we create belief. We create beliefs, beliefs so that we can find a solid place. That's why people believe in something, and everyone believes in something. It, it could be themselves. And that's why, to me, Christianity is the most hopeful religion in the world, because it believes the first order, the thing of first importance, is it believes that their God came, their God came and suffered, their God came and suffered and died, their God came, suffered, and died, and rose again. And there is a hope in that 
that is much bigger than me believing in a way that I have to create a, a world for myself. I was once at a debate where N.T. Wright debated an atheistic existentialist philosopher. And this philosopher said, we were talking about, it was about the afterlife. What happens when we die? And the philosopher said, when I die, I die. And then N.T. Wright asked him, well, what, what kind of positiveness does that give you to live today? And this is what the man said. He sat there on the stage, and there's a, several hundred people there listening. And this man said, well, what I try to do is to be a light in a dark world. And just to bring a little more light in the dark world. And when my light goes off, I hope that it's been bright enough to light somebody else's light. And N.T. Wright looked at him with a great deal of love and respect and said, I feel so sorry for you. It was, and he said, I will pray for you. It was one of those moments in the debate that went much beyond the ideas and the debate and into people's heart. So my question for you is, what do you believe? Uh, let's go one more slide. Hist uh, and I, I want to say this yet. Can or should our beliefs change? Yes, they should. And what is the basis for truth for a follower of Jesus? In John 5, Jesus is meeting a group of people who know the scriptures hindwards and backwards. They've memorized them. They know everything about the scriptures. And Jesus tells them, that's not where you're going to find eternal life. Where you're going to find eternal life is in me. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness of me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. And then Isaiah 44 Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. And on and on. And he says, Fear not, do not be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? There is no, no rock. I know not any. This is God speaking. He says, I am a living God. And, and if we believe in a living God, in a God who opens up the door for, for truth and belief, then it's bigger than the Scriptures. It is about the person behind the Scriptures. And let me just say this. You can know the Scriptures all you want to. Unless you have the living Word living within you, you cannot know the written Word to its fullest potential. You need the living Word. And that's why we go back to these creeds, these ideas that we believe in God who is alive, a God who is active, a God who sent His Son, and a God who sent His Holy Spirit so that we can have life. Can we go back to the creed? And let's stand together while the worship team comes up. In a final closing prayer, let's say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. God, I pray that these would be pounded into our soul and that we would join the rivers of humanity who in the last 2,000 years have used this to proclaim their allegiance to the King of Kings. Thank you that you are living and care about us. Dismiss us as we go from here and give us the grace to live our beliefs in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe that was a powerful message. Thank you, Marcus. Let's sing one verse, one chorus of uh, the Salvation.